John chapter 4, verse 46. You're going to find it on page 1053 in your pew Bible. So John chapter 4, verse 46. We're going to take a break from Judges today. We're going to turn our attention to dads. And uh, our time in the Word today is meant to be an encouragement to dads. But I know that not everyone in here is a father. For instance, some of you are women. Science, thank you. While I recognize that not everyone in here is, is a father, I still think it's important for us to focus on dads today for a couple of reasons. One, uh, dads need all the encouragement they can get from God's Word. And a, a pet peeve of mine are those preachers who treat Mother's Day very flowery, and then they treat Father's Day like a trip to the woodshed for dads. Uh, that's definitely not my M.O. and not our plan for today. Uh, we want to be challenged by God's Word for sure, but we don't want to be beat up. I don't want our dads to be beat up. I want it to be a morning in which dads are encouraged. And what's more, the passage we're studying this morning has implications not only for fathers, but if you are any person who carries a spiritual burden for another person, then our passage today out of John chapter 4 is for you. So while I will direct a lot of my focus to dads today, uh, I speak to the whole church. John chapter 4 verse 46 and following speaks to the whole church about how it is we can walk with people to faith in Christ. Uh, and so dads, we are men of action, right? We are pickle jar openers. We are spider squishers. We are toilet plungerers. We are storytellers, noise makers, fort builders, nap takers. We are grillers and mowers and snorers and legends in our own minds. We're men who thrive on action. Uh, but there's a different kind of action I want to point you towards today. It's the action that will be for the spiritual benefit of your family. In John chapter 4, verse 46, we're going to meet a dad who has a burden for his son. And that dad has an encounter with Jesus that is beyond what he ever dreamed or expected. He hoped that something great would happen. He had no idea how incredible his encounter with Jesus was really going to be. And that might be the case for so many of us. But we know Jesus is beautiful and special and wonderful. Our expectations, though, may be a bit small, even though we stand face to face with the God of our salvation. And so this morning, I want to encourage you towards action, action that's for the spiritual benefit of your family. If you want to see your family love Jesus and walk with him, but you don't know how, then John chapter 4 has some direction for you. So my purpose in preaching this passage today is to encourage dads to practice the kind of faith that changes kids' lives I want to encourage all of us, whether a father or not, to practice the kind of faith that changes the lives of others. Now, I'm not speaking on fatherhood today because I have it all figured out. This is far from the truth. I am far from the perfect dad. I have at least four, maybe five witnesses who can speak to this for sure. But I'll tell you this, I want to get it right before I run out of time. 
I want to be a good dad. I want to be a godly father. I want to be a dad that changes my kids' lives for the sake of eternity. And so this passage has been as much for me in my study as it is for anyone today in its delivery. So my purpose in preaching this passage today is to encourage dads to practice the kind of faith that changes kids' lives. And uh, so let's look at John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 46. Once more, he, that's Jesus, visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, You may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. So let me show you in this passage three actions dads can take that will change their kids' lives. Three actions for dads to take. The first action is this, dad, pursue Jesus. If you're going to be the kind of father who makes a spiritual impact in the life of your child, be a dad who pursues Jesus. Verses 46 and 47 show us a dad on a desperate, humble pursuit for Jesus. John gives us some important geographical markers to start this story. In my Bible study, I love it when town names or regions are mentioned or rivers or seas. It just it, it helps it all seem more real when you can track the places, when you can pull out a map and look at it in your Bible study. So John gives us a couple of uh, geographical markers here. First of all, he tells us that Jesus has arrived back in a town called Cana, and Cana is in a region called Galilee. So when you think of Galilee, think of a county perhaps. So Cana sits in the county, the region of Galilee, and Jesus has been in Cana before. Back in John chapter 2, the first of Jesus' miraculous signs takes place at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And there Jesus changes water into wine, and that sign serves as the amazing announcement that here has come the Messiah, God's celebrated Savior of mankind. Now Jesus is in Cana while this man with the sick son is in a town called Capernaum. Capernaum and Cana are not next door to each other, probably about 20 miles apart as the crow flies. But in uh, ancient Galilee, roads are not exactly the straightest. You've got to go over hills and around hills and down hills and up more hills again. The trip from Capernaum to Cana in Galilee would have been a very serious 20-mile journey, a hard 20 miles. John tells us that this man from Capernaum is a royal official. It's an important detail we shouldn't overlook. What does it mean that he's a royal official? Well, the likely meaning of the title is that he's an officer 
in the court of the Rome-appointed governor for Galilee. So he's a high-level politician type. He's likely Jewish. We're not told specifically, but in all likelihood, this was a Jewish man. And he's a man of influence, a man of means, a man of power. He's a royal official in service to the governor. And this man has a son who's not just sick. John tells us the son is close to death. They've tried everything they can to rescue this child from this sickness, but nothing has worked. And then the dad hears that Jesus, the miracle worker, maybe he's already heard of Jesus who turned water into wine at Cana. He's heard that this Jesus is back in the region again. Here he has a son who is sick and about to die, and the miracle worker has arrived back in the area code. And so this dad does the only thing that he can in this instance, and he takes off in pursuit of Jesus. His pursuit of Jesus is marked by a couple of characteristics in the story. One, it's a desperate pursuit because he does not know where Jesus is going to be. In the story, John just tells us the man hears Jesus is back in Galilee. Galilee is a significant footprint. And Jesus is not exactly announcing his itinerary for where he plans on being in his time in Galilee. This dad is at the bedside of his son, this sacred space where his son only has a limited number of heartbeats left. And this dad, in desperation for his child, leaves that place. I wonder if he left it to the protests of others around him. And he went in search of the miracle worker. We're not told if he had to search high and low, far and wide, how long it took. But we're just told that the man left. It was a desperate pursuit to go find Jesus. You can feel the father's desperation. I mean, this is a bit of a long shot to be sure. So his pursuit of Jesus is a desperate pursuit. The second characteristic, it's a humble pursuit. It's a desperate pursuit and a humble pursuit of Jesus. The man finds Jesus, which I think is just remarkable. And then when he comes to Jesus, look at what verse 47 tells us. He went to him and begged him to come heal his son. The royal official begged the Jewish peasant, to come heal his son. I would imagine in a culture that prides itself on honor and position and hierarchy, not so many royal officials are begging peasants for help. This man gives orders and people obey. He sets the course and people follow. This man, in desperation, leaves his dying son, tracks down Jesus, and humbles himself to beg Jesus to come and rescue his son from certain death. Dads, your kids need you to practice a desperate and humble pursuit of Jesus. This is the kind of men we are to be. And how do you pursue Jesus? This is not some fuzzy notion You're not going to pursue Jesus over the hilly terrain of Galilee, but rather you're going to pursue Jesus in the quiet of Bible study and in the quiet of prayer. You pursue Jesus with your Bible open, your phone off, and your heart vulnerable. There's nothing that changes a person like the regular disciplined intake of God's Word. Not singing, 
not praying, not fellowship, not church attendance, the regular disciplined intake of Scripture. It's what transforms a person most powerfully, most effectively. And when we study that word, then we have a song to sing, and we have prayers to lift, and we have a reason to fellowship, and a reason to gather. But it's the study of God's Word that takes preeminence in the shaping of our hearts. If we're going to pursue Jesus, we do it in the Word of God above all else. The dad who tries to lead his family without spending time in the Word of God is like the doctor who tries to perform surgery without first going to medical school. You wouldn't want that. Now, if we were to take a survey today, and I were to ask you, is Bible study important for the Christian life? I would hope you would all say yes, even if you thought, eh, maybe there's some gray area here, just because it's a church survey and you ought to give the church answer. I, I think we would all agree, uh, in general, yes, Bible study is vitally important for the health of the Christian life. The struggle we have is though we believe this, we just don't do it. A great story circulated uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, this Jewish gentleman was at a Walmart in Arkansas, and he saw a young man with a tattoo that caught his attention. The tattoo was on the inside of his forearm, and in large, very bold Hebrew font was, was this Hebrew word. And the man found it interesting that of all places in this Walmart in Arkansas, here's Here's a young man with this Hebrew word tattooed on his forearm. And so he asked him about it, and the young man told him, he said, I got this tattoo when I was in the service, and it means strength, and it's always been a source of encouragement to me. And so the gentleman asked if he could take a picture of it. He took a picture of the tattoo and wished the young man well and sent him on his way uh, and didn't have the heart to tell him, your tattoo doesn't say strength. The word matzah means bread. Bread. Huge. Permanent. And so many of us are just like that young man. We can find no strength in the Word of God because we don't know the Word of God. You pursue Jesus in His Word, and, and Dad, you've got to pursue Jesus in prayer. We've got to pray for our families as if no one else is praying for them. And it is possible there is no one else praying for your kids or for your spouse but you. The people we carry spiritual burdens for, we've got to pray for them like no one else is praying for them. And we have such deficient theology when it comes to prayer. Here's the line we say so often. We'll, we'll get to the end of all the things we can do in a situation and we'll say, I guess all we can do now is pray. What horrible theology for a Christian to practice. God, I got this. I'll do all these things, but if it doesn't work, then I'll pray. If my power doesn't fix the thing, then I'll come to sovereign omnipotence and ask the God who loves me and has saved me to maybe lend a hand here. We cannot overstate the importance and the power and the effectiveness of carrying the people we love before the throne of grace in prayer. 
What an incredible privilege it is to take that name and to put it in front of the Holy of Holies for the sake of their salvation or their sanctification or their deliverance, whatever the need is. Prayer is no small work. It is not some lesser work. It is the glorious gift of God to His church that we would be able to come before Him, not through a priest, not through a pastor, but through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and to mention before His throne the names of the people we carry burdens for. Daniel chapter 10 pushes me in prayer and has for some time now. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel has a burden for his people Israel. They are in exile. It's time for them to return back home. But they've become so comfortable in exile and in love with idols and sin, they're just going to stay in this exile. And so Daniel prays passionately for his people who are lost to their sin. And the angel of the Lord comes to Daniel and tells him this, Daniel, I've come because you prayed. Dad, when you pray, you're moving heaven's resources to earth. You're humbling yourself, and perhaps in desperation, you are lifting up the name of the person that you love and you care for, and whom God loves more than you do. And you're trusting the Lord to work in their lives, to draw them to Him. This is how we pursue Jesus. We pursue Jesus in His Word. We pursue Jesus in prayer. You could run off a a whole list of spiritual disciplines we might practice, but here is where it happens in fullness. When we read the Word, when we pray the Word, we pray to the Father, we're pursuing Jesus. Dads who pursue Jesus impact their kids' lives. Here's the second action I want to encourage you to take, Dad. You've got to be a man who pursues Jesus. And second, you need to be a man who submits to Jesus. Look at Jesus' response to the dad in verse 48. The dad has come to Jesus begging him to come heal his son. In verse 48, Jesus says, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. That seems a little terse to us. We, we would expect Jesus to be, you know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. It's okay. I'm here now. You found me. We're going to be all right. We might expect that sort of response. Jesus responds a a little more tersely. Now, it's not so bad a response for a couple of reasons. One, Jesus isn't speaking directly to the Father only. He says, unless you people. So there's evidently a crowd. There's more than just this dad here with Jesus. So Jesus addresses this comment not to the man who's hurting, but to everyone around him. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. The second thing Jesus is doing here is he's also clarifying his agenda. He's not there to merely do signs and wonders. The signs and wonders serve a greater purpose. And what is that purpose? The purpose for the signs and wonders is to awaken saving faith in the people who witness them or experience them. It's not the best kind of faith to believe in Jesus just for signs and wonders, but perhaps in Jesus' assessment of things, it's what will take a person from this lesser faith to a saving faith. So when the dad approaches Jesus, he thinks, I just need a miracle. That's all he's after. And he doesn't have a category for Jesus as Messiah, God the Son, 
the eternal creator of all things. That's not who he's thinking Jesus is. He's just thinking Jesus is a man with supernatural power and that might be applied to my situation. But Jesus knows the situation better than the dad does. You see, Jesus has a different understanding of the relationship between miracles and faith. It's a different assessment from the crowd and from the dad in the story. Prosperity preachers and bad friends will tell you that you are sick because you don't have enough faith to get better. If you only believed more, if you only believed better, then you would really and truly be healed. Your sickness is a result of your weak and broken faith. Prosperity preachers, bad friends. But Jesus reverses that line of thinking in this passage. He doesn't say faith leads to signs and wonders. He says signs and wonders just might awaken your faith in him. There's definitely an order to what's greater in this story. And guess what? The the greater part of this story is not the miracle. It's the faith that is to come. So in verse 49, the dad gives Jesus a command. He's begging Jesus, and then he says, Sir, come down before my boy dies. Jesus, in response, gives his own command to the father. Go, your son will live. The father says, come. Jesus says, go. This is done and taken care of. And here's this critical moment. How's the dad going to respond? This is not what he expected. He's expecting Jesus to hop on his horse with him, and they're going to go back to Capernaum, and Jesus is going to do the miracle, perform whatever needs to be performed to heal the boy. So will the dad take Jesus at his word, or will he sit there and fight to get his way? Well, we're told in the passage, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. If you've got a different translation of Scripture other than the NIV, your Bible might say the man believed Jesus and departed. We've got to be crystal clear on this point. What is it that the man believes before he departs? This belief or this faith is not a saving type of belief. At this point in the story, it seems merely to be the belief that his son's going to be healed. He believes what Jesus has said about the miracle, but he's not yet believing what the miracle says about Jesus. There's a huge difference between those two beliefs. So the man leaves Jesus and he starts his journey back home with nothing but the word of Jesus. That's all he has. Jesus said, and the man goes. Now, I would expect a miracle to be a little more flamboyant, not so plain. This miracle is just five words. Go, your son will live. There's no elaborate prayer, no no miracle word. Speak this word over your child and the fever will leave him. No, No anointed prayer cloth to put on the forehead and it'll remove the sickness no magic voodoo kung fu christianese type it's just words a boring old bland miracle that's all this dad gets but this dad submitted himself to that plain word of jesus and dads if you and i want to be the best for our kids we've got to be the kind of people who submit 
to Jesus. You've pursued him in his word and in prayer. Now you've got to submit to him. And how do we submit to him? This is not some fuzzy idea left up for debate. We submit to the word of Jesus through glad obedience. Brothers, we've got to put ourselves under the word of God. And to walk under the word of God is not to put ourselves under burden, but rather obedience to the word gives us wisdom and freedom and life and joy. Proverbs 29, 18 tells us that the one who obeys the word of the Lord is blessed. Not burdened, not shackled, but blessed by God when we obey the word of the Lord. And so when he is the Lord over our words and our tempers and our affections and our schedules and our finances, then we know what abundant life is all about. There is no abundant life, no blessed life apart from walking in glad obedience to the word of God. The man who obeys Jesus from his heart is going to be a man who loves his wife deeply. He's going to be a man who will strive for the respect and affection of his children. He'll be a man who sings in church. He'll be a man who is moved by lostness in the world. He'll be a man who loves his neighbor and helps those who are in need. He'll be a man that knows as long as he has the word of God, everything's going to be okay. The man who walks in obedience to the word of God is a man who impacts the lives of everyone around him. If you carry a spiritual burden for anyone in your life, walking in obedience to the word of God is going to be such a huge benefit and necessary way of living in order for that one that you love to hear and see the life-changing words of Christ through you. So what kind of action should you, O man of action, take? for the sake of your kids. Pursue Jesus. Submit to Jesus. And finally, believe in Jesus. Verses 50 through 54 show us the awakening of faith in the Father in our story. So the dad has left Jesus. And the next day, while still on his way home, he runs into some of his servants. They've come to find him. And they tell him, the boy is living. He's doing great. The fever has left him. And then when the dad gets the details, he realizes the boy is healed at the same time he had his encounter with Jesus on the previous day. It's an incredible miracle. The dad has submitted himself to the word of Jesus. He's walked away at Jesus' command, but but there's still this bit of uncertainty. What will he find when he gets there? And what he finds is that the word of Christ is all-powerful. Now, it's an amazing miracle that happens. Jesus heals this boy from afar. But the healing is the lesser part of the story. If we sit down with this passage in order to try to find some secret way to get Jesus to do miracles for us, we've missed the point of this passage entirely. That's not what this is about. You see, the miracle in this story is a sign, and it's only a sign. And all signs point beyond themselves to something greater, a better destination. So if you are driving south on Main Street... Am I pointing in the right direction? Yes. If you're driving south on Main Street, you're going to pass a sign before you get to this intersection that says Wampatuck State Park 
next left. Now, if you come to that sign and you pull over to the side of the road and you stop, kids, we've made it! Come here! And then you all take pictures in front of the sign, but you never make a left. (laughs) You just go back home. You've missed the point of the sign. The sign is giving you direction. The sign is pointing you to something greater and better. It's a lovely brown sign with white font, but it's not Wampatuck State Park. You've got to make a left. This miracle, the healing of the boy, is a sign, not the destination. And what does this sign point to according to John? The sign points to this beautiful truth about Jesus, that he is the giver of life. He is God with us, the Messiah who is worthy of all trust, who is worthy of all submission, who is worthy of all glory, who has in himself all power over nature because he is the very creator God. This sign points us to something greater and grander and more amazing. And what happens as a result of the sign at the end of verse 53? So he, that's the dad, and his whole household believed. There's the destination. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. He and his whole household believed. It shouldn't be followed or lost on us that this father believed, and then his whole family followed suit. What's the difference between this belief at the end of verse 53? And the other belief in verse 50. Remember in verse 50, the dad believed Jesus and left to go back to his son. But here, this is a different kind of belief. What's the difference between the two? Well, in the first belief, he believed what Jesus said about the miracle. And in this second, verse 53, he finally believes what the miracle is saying about Jesus. This dad had a diagnosis in his head, in a prescription. My son's going to die prescription is the miracle-working peasant in Galilee. But at the end of this story, he sees things totally different. This gracious miracle has shown him who Jesus really and truly is. So it begs the question of every man and every woman in this room as we read this passage, have you followed the signs? Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? What do I mean when I say believer? Not just someone who would give mere intellectual assent that, yes, Jesus existed in some form. Although this is important, we must be decided on the matter of who Jesus is from an intellectual standpoint to say, yes, he really lived, he really died, and he really rose from the dead three days later. Yes, he's born of a virgin. Yes, the, what the Scriptures say about him is true. We've, we have to believe these things in an intellectual sense, absolutely. We can't believe in Jesus rightly for our salvation if we believe in the wrong Jesus or a Jesus of our own making. We believe in the Jesus who's revealed to us in the Scriptures. When we pursue Jesus in His Word, we see Him for who He is, and then we can submit to Him in faith and trust. So we've got to have this intellectual knowledge, but it doesn't just stop there, brothers and sisters. We've got to have a heart knowledge as well where we trust Him. Jesus who's revealed to me in Scripture, I'm going to trust for my salvation. 
So many of us have a warped view of how we will make things right with God at the end of our lives. We have this idea that we'll stand before God and He'll have some set of scales and He'll weigh things in our lives, good versus bad. And If we've gone to church enough and we've done enough nice things and we, I, we, we did fewer bad things, then surely the good will outweigh the bad and God will say, well done, my law-abiding servant, and welcome us into His kingdom. But that's, that's not the gospel. That's not the kind of faith that happens here. This dad doesn't get anything right. He thinks of Jesus wrong. He barks orders to Jesus. He's got struggles with how he sees the whole situation. The dad doesn't earn this saving faith. Rather, this saving faith is given to him as a gift of grace. And that's how it works for us. We don't need this story because we get this right. We need this story because we get it wrong so often. And you've got to get this right. You've got to get Jesus right for the sake of your salvation. And brother, you may have been in church for decades and you may have served in many ways and you may may have one wife that you can point to. This has been my wife my whole life and those are admirable, wonderful things. And you may be a veteran and I love veterans. You may be a great citizen and a great member of your community and known as a wonderful neighbor. But brother, you still are incapable of saving yourself apart from faith in Jesus Christ. All those good things, all those noble ventures will take you before the throne of God in judgment and you will be found lacking entirely. Because what covers our sin, what pays for our sin, is death. And Jesus' death is the substitution through which you can be saved. Your sins require penalty. They require payment. It is absolutely necessary in God's economy that sin is punished. And there's two ways your sin will be punished, one or the other. Either you will pay for your sin yourself in eternal torment, or you will hear the good news and you will believe the good news, and Jesus Christ will pay the penalty for your sin. And he will take your death, and in exchange, he will give you his life. Jesus is so gracious and patient with the dad in this story, and so he is with all of us. In all of our misconceptions, all of our wrong perceptions, wrong ideas, wrong conclusions, he's patient and gracious to draw us close, to show us signs of himself, and to awaken in us the faith that saves us. Dad, if you want to be the kind of dad that changes your kids' lives, then this is the day to bow your knee to the God of our salvation, to say yes to Him, to say I'm going to trust in what Christ has done for me and only in what Christ has done for me and I'm going to live my life to follow Him. And that's not a young man's game only. Dads at all stages of life are spiritual influencers in the lives of their children. All stages of life. My dad has known Jesus for many years. And he went through a very difficult season where he didn't walk with the Lord as perhaps he should have. But about 12 years ago, God did an amazing work in his life. And I'm telling you, to witness that as an adult son was powerful. 
And when my dad speaks encouragement, sends me a kind text, lets me know he's praying for me, tells me how I can preach better, when he tells me, uh, gives me insight on parenting or just whatever the thing is, my dad at every stage of life has been a spiritual influencer in my life, and so are you. So don't think you've passed a date. Don't think you've had too many birthdays to make a difference. If this is the day God speaks to your heart, then Dad, you've got to say yes to Jesus. You've got to believe in Jesus. How are you going to change the lives of your kids? How will you impact people's eternities? Here's what John chapter 4 has told us today. We want to be people who pursue Jesus, who submit to Jesus, and who believe in Jesus. I hope you paid close attention to what these actions entail. If, if we walk out of here feeling like, now I've got 12 things I've got to do to make this right, then we've missed the point. The thing that we have to do is turn to Christ. That's it. We're going to trust Jesus, and he's going to do the work. He's the one that loves us and loves our families. He's the one that will give us guidance and wisdom and direction and words to speak and patience in the hard moment. He's the one that's going to fill us with hope when we feel like we've done all that we can. He's the one who hears our prayers when we come to him. This is not about how you in yourself will fix anything, but how Christ himself longs to do it for you that he would be glorified, that he would be honored, that he would be loved and cherished by the people in your life. Let this be encouragement to you today. May your kids see in you the Father in their Father. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm grateful for this word that speaks encouragement to all of us. The encouragement is this, that salvation has come in Jesus Christ. He's the one who gives life, who at the cross will remove death and defeat it once and for all. And so God, I I ask that you would help all of us in here to grasp the truth of this miracle, that salvation is found in Christ alone. I know for many in here, they know that by their own personal testimonies. They, they've had faith awakened in their hearts, not because they did so many things right, but because you were gracious and merciful to them. So we're grateful for the testimonies of sisters and brothers in here that know you as their Savior. And I pray encouragement and strength and hope for them as they walk with you while carrying a spiritual burden for people in their lives. Lord, we will not quit praying. We will not give up on this high, holy work. But we will continue to bring their names before you and to trust you, the one who loves these people more than anyone else, to draw them to yourself. Lord, we will continue to pray for our kids, to praise you for their victories, to ask for your guidance when they walk down hard paths ask for your words when it comes time to speak in the serious moment. Lord, we want our children, we want our families to walk with you. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in here that are probably more like the dad on the front end of this story than on the back end. And that they know you're powerful, they know you're special, they know you're right, but Lord, they, they have not surrendered So let this be the day that they are drawn close to you in love and in faith. Awaken faith in their hearts today. 
give them boldness to move towards you and to say yes to you so that their eternities will be changed forever and their lives will be changed today. Lord, raise up godly men in this church and raise up godly fathers who will follow in the examples of so many men you have put here before to walk with you in seriousness and in humility, to pray passionately and desperately, and to be men who walk under your word in gladness and joy. So, Father, we praise you for your word to us. We praise you for the faith you've given us. We ask now that you would shape us more to serve you better for the sake of the eternities of our children and our families and all those we love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.